Why do some people consistently make good decisions, successful decisions, while others seem to constantly derail themselves? Let's have ourselves a pocket-sized pep talk because decisions are based on your mindset. And when you have an intentional mindset, you put yourself in control. You want to know how? Well, stay with me. My guest knows how. A pocket-sized pep talk podcast that can help energize your business and your life with a quick, inspiring message. Now, here's your host, Rob Jollis. Today's guest, Jane Frankel, is a business author, lifelong educator, workforce consultant, and successful entrepreneur. Today, she serves as the managing principal of the Art of Performance LLC and as an adjunct professor in economics at Temple University. Her new book is the Intentional Mindset, Data, Decisions, and Your Destiny. It was recently published in August, so it's fresh out on the shelves for us. Welcome to the show, Jane. Happy to have you with us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, it's a pleasure. So let's chat. dive right in. And, and I, you know, I opened the show referring to how your mindset decisions can drive or derail your opportunities for success. And mm-hmm. you're not going to get an argument from me there. But most don't plan on letting this happen. It just kind of happens. So let's start with how we determine our mindset. Well, uh, I would say that most people will tell you they know their mindsets. And they can very quickly uh, take a piece of paper and write down. Uh, There are four components, your goals, your values, as, as defined by me, your goals, your values, your beliefs, or your biases or assumptions, and your mode of work. And um, uh, most people will be able to define that for themselves pretty easily. But what happens is uh, they're not necessarily true to actual behaviors. So if you go look at, and they're not necessarily aligned, they're considered independent uh, components. But for your mindset to work for you and put you in control of your decisions, those components need to be aligned to each other. So if your goal is not true to a value that you have, or if your mode of work does not demonstrate a value, well, then you're going to be perceived as not really a um um, not not really a good person to work with. Your narrative is not going to be good. And of course, we all need to work with other people. Uh, the the um, point of being in control and how you are in control is to develop your own sense of autonomy, which is not independent. It is dependent as well as independent, which means that you not only have to understand your own mindset, uh, realistically, but you have to understand other people's mindsets as well so that you can accommodate uh, their goals and their values so that you can make decisions from a common platform. So how do you know after you've written your uh, mindset components down on a paper and you're you're ready to go, how do you know if that's accurate and how do you test that? Well, wait a minute, before we test it, before we test it, I'm going to push back a little bit. You know me for four minutes. I'm already pushing back, but I want to push back just for a second again. And and you can tell me I'm wrong. You're the author. But what you're describing, I don't think a lot of people wake up and, 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 
and say to themselves, I feel like having a, a day where I'm not going to be true to my mindset. I'm wondering how often this is unconsciously incompetent. In other words, where we don't know that we don't know. Most of the time. Okay. That's what I'm pushing back on a little bit. So if that's where, and then we're good. I want to unpack those four components. We're going to, we're going to return to the four components. Mm -hmm. I promise you. But I just, because I really like what you've written and that's why I booked you on the show. I, I just, I'm, I mentor and coach a lot of people and none of them show up intentionally, you know, not being mindful intentionally. So is it those around us? How do we, how, how do we drop that first domino and figure out whether this is an issue for us? Well, if you, if you consider your, uh, if you consider your goals, which everybody, everybody puts a little bit of investment in goals. Um, maybe not so much in values, beliefs, and mode of work. Maybe that's just kind of an automatic, but everybody thinks about goals. So if you just, and and the way you think about goals is to really evaluate what's your invisible capital. Now, your invisible capital are all of the things that you know and can do uh, as assets to your thinking since you were born. Uh, who was your family? Where were you educated? What did you learn? What clubs did you belong to? Where you developed a set of skills? Uh, do you love baseball or football? Do you love the statistics in it? What are all of the things that make up who was your network of, of friends? Who were your parents' networks of friends, your brothers, all our sisters? All of those things make up your invisible capital. They also define your interest, what you're good at, your strengths which then should be actually rolled into your definition of your mindset. So you're not just starting with a clean piece of paper. You're really looking at what is my, uh, what, what is my invisible capital that I don't really think about, but I use all the time. So if you think about that and then you create a, a definition of your mindset components from that, then you it becomes very clear if you've been accurate because you can look at project with a result of some work and you will say, I, I I don't know where that came from, but I really don't like what that how that turned out. Well, if you use some of the tools, the analysis tools, which are in the book, and they're this it's nothing really special, uh, just kind of basic stuff that everybody knows is around, like the five whys. You know, if you Jane, 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 of course it's special. You wrote it. You're working on this. Well, but but what I one of my goals in this book was to make it accessible, so that you didn't have to go figure out a tool. It was a very simple tool. That's that's what I'm saying. Is yeah, isn't that the art of being a great teacher and a great writer, Jane? Simplifying what other people are trying to say, but we can't figure out. Keep rolling. Yeah. Keep it, keep it simple. Mm-hmm. And so if you, so as an example, I don't like that result or I really like that result. If you peel away five whys, why did I decide that? Why did I just, what made me decide that before that and before that and before that? You will eventually get back to uh, a value or a goal that's very pretty apparent by your behaviors, which may or may not match what you said your mindset was 
your goals and your values. So you can also do that analysis with a brainstorming exercise or a mind mapping exercise. And if you do that also with a peer, you know, get a friend to yeah. sit with you and say, well, this is what I'm thinking. And, and the friends, that, that makes no sense. Go back. That didn't, that doesn't, that doesn't align. So there are very simple ways to actually analyze and diagnose yourself and your thinking. Because if you have a goal that your mode of work does not support, well, then you're not going to get to that goal. For example, uh, I always say it's, it's a very simple example. If you have um, if you have a goal of accumulating multi-million dollar, multi-million uh, yeah, dollar I want to make fortune. $10 million by the time I'm X years old. Yep. Right. By the time I'm 25. But you have a value of personal family time and you demonstrate that by your mode of work is I leave work no matter what's going on at 4.30 or five o'clock in the afternoon. And I do not think about it until the next day. Chances are that mode of work is not really matching your $25 million by the time you're 25. Yeah. Because we I all know that that's just like, that doesn't, that doesn't yeah. compute. Yeah, right. it makes sense. Um, and I'm going to throw thoughts at you and you tell me, Rob, you're going down the wrong path there. But I know in, as a corporate trainer, one of the first things that we learned was separating goals or tasks from terminal to task, meaning I want to, I want to make 25 million by the time I'm 25. Good. That is a terminal goal. That's the end goal. I got it. I, where people fall short is they forget that there are task goals involved. So what do I got to do by the end of this year? What have I got to, you know, what, what, you know, what are the, all the small pieces that get me to that big goal? Right. Well, that's a hierarchy of goals. Okay. It takes persistence, but it also disciplines that hierarchy disciplines you to be able to stay on track for that longer term goal. The other thing that is really important to recognize about goals is that there are two types of goals. There are performance goals and there are learning goals. If you are constantly going after the performance, like I got to achieve 10 million by this year and a 15 by the next year, well, then what is it, what, what do you need to learn and accumulate in terms of uh, refining your, your uh, behaviors and your activities to get to those goals? Maybe that your goal for this year is to just learn all the moving parts of earning that money. Right. So that's a learning goal. And that is really important to validate to yourself. It's okay if I'm gonna learn this year and I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not gonna earn money or whatever. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to have to win the marathon. I'm going to learn how to participate in a marathon this year. And then maybe next year I can have a goal or in two years, I can have a goal of using everything I learned in order to win. Yeah. Yep. Well, you're talking to an ex marathon runner. So I'm okay. going to, I'm going to use it to get myself under two hours and 45 minutes, then two thirty. you know, mm -hmm. and these are, I, I hear you. And the task objectives are nutrition, training schedules, et cetera. Right. I think That's a lot right. of people fall short because they have these very lofty goals. Right. They don't really break them down into and and achieve the success that you're you're talking about right now. Right. And that would be part of your mode of work. Right. Right. Okay, Do you so, teach this at school at, at Temple? Uh yes. I uh talk I I have a workshop 
mm-hmm. that, that, that integrates all of this. I don't teach it as a theory. I teach it as a, this is how you get work done. These are all the things you think about in order to get work done. Uh, I um, teach a, um, I have for a lot of years taught um, entrepreneurship students and now economic students to uh, do projects as interns. And the goal is to go and create, and there's a there's a tracking system to create value for that company so that you make yourself employable and get a job offer at the end of the internship. And it's all very structured. And uh, the work that they do for the internship is monitored by this workshop mm-hmm. so yeah. that they learn how to work. Right. You're, Colleges you're, don't teach how to work. Yeah, people can't, it's a podcast, so you can't see me clapping everybody, but I'm really clapping at a couple things you said, but one of them, which is, and I'm so glad to hear it as a guy who's been 14 years now working as a volunteer for people in career transition and struggling. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy when I hear of uh, a teacher, uh, a, a mentor, a person who's working with others, who's not just showing them skills, but how helping them to be employed with these skills. I just think it's, I right. wish more people would understand that that's the home run that we're looking for. Well, my, my passion and goal in life is to help people be self-confident so they can be self-sufficient and self-accountable. Okay. Because if you are not autonomous, meaning you know what you can do independently right. and what you need help with, what you're dependent for, and bring those two things together so that you're in control, yeah. uh, y- you need to do that in the knowledge economy. You need to really be able to uh, uh, take care of yourself. Absolutely. Does your, and, and maybe it's at the university, maybe it's in your program. It's a term I can't stand which is soft skills. I actually talk about them as performance skills, but I I don't want to overuse the word performance here, but uh, I just think it demeans the the critical nature of those skills. Absolutely. Is that something that, that, that I would get if I was reading your book and not necessarily refer to that, but just some of the skills that are required to, to fit in with the team, to, to be a part of a group. I call that like that that whole concept. Uh, I never use that term. I use the term communication, and I have three different systems of communication. And I talk about stakeholders, and stakeholders the people you are dependent on to get something done. And we're all dependent on other people. I mean, you don't eat your breakfast cereal without you know the the cereal in the store and who made the milk and what whatever you know. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I, I, um, once you know your own mindset and once you've defined and refined and are checking in on your own mindset, you then, in order to work with other people have to understand their mindsets as well. And they're your stakeholders. And I think that that is, that, that takes care of soft skills because if you're considering other people and what their mindsets are, you're considering what their needs are, what their values are what their goals are and how they want to work uh, in, in conjunction with you. And you can create a common platform for getting something done. Good. Makes sense. But now we're straddling. So now we straddle down this line and we say, okay, I've got my goals, et cetera. I'm going to try and communicate effectively, but I bring in my own biases. I bring in my own um, baggage, 
speak, beliefs, maybe beliefs that aren't quite lined up. Um, Walk me through that again. I don't think we were consciously competent of them or or aware of them, but yet they exist. They do. And that's where the data comes in. Mm -hmm. That's where, uh, when you are, when you can see through analyzing results of a conversation. I mean, you, you know, when you talk with somebody and you say something that they don't quite agree with, you can see it. If you are, now we go to the concept of being mindful. If you are observing, you can then train yourself uh, to be aware of what other people are thinking or saying. So when that happens or when something doesn't work out the way you expect it, you can say, well, I believe uh, that that person's not competent enough to work on this project with me. That's my assumption because of something happened in the past or, you know, I don't like, I don't, I don't like green shirts. So, you know, he's out. So, so then uh, you can go and kind of discipline. There's a matter of discipline for yourself. You can go discipline yourself and say, well, what are the facts? What What's the foundation for that belief? Why do I believe that about that person? And then uh, there are, you know, uh, innumerable sources of data where you can go actually make a premise and research it. And then you can you can uh, differentiate your beliefs from your facts. And also you can have that conversation with your stakeholders because they will be glad to tell you that that's an assumption. That's not that's not a that's not a fact in my mind. Now, maybe their fact is a belief too, but it starts the conversation with um, what 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 do we agree on here, and what do we not agree on that we have to work on. Um, and there there are there are multiple examples in the book about this. One of them has to do. One of them is the um, the um, Volkswagen partnership with the. Republic of China to to uh, build out their uh, their auto industry, the Chinese. Well, if you can think of two mindsets different than the German mindset of discipline and the Chinese of get in line and you know you're you're told what to do. Uh, the man who was in charge of that was just challenged. The Volkswagen manager was just continuously. Um, challenged with that, those differences. And uh, what he did was he he found a common thread, which was, we all have the same goal here. We need to increase, enhance the auto industry in China. And now what do we have to do and put aside so that we can continue to work towards that common goal? And it worked. And uh, it was maybe three years or so, and and um, the project was a success. But he was a master at mindset. This yeah, man. I, I actually caught that story on sixty Minutes. There was a, a version of that story, yeah, and um, it was fascinating because mm-hmm. I got you got to meet him, and you you they did a nice job of just showing sort of how these two cultures were sort of banging into each other. He understood mindset. Right. Right. Well, that's a perfect example, actually. Um, okay. All right. I, I ruthlessly pulled you away from those four components a few minutes ago. Um, okay. But I but I, I want to reinsert now. I want to ease us back into that. 
You mentioned there are four components. I just kind of wanted to ramp up towards it. Talk to me about that a little bit. Okay. So, and this is, this is mindset according to Jane Frankel. You know, I, I don't, I don't think this is written anywhere. Of course it is. It's written in your book. Yes. Right. Exactly. So, um, goals and values are the, uh, defining components. They're the first two. And some people begin with their values, what's really important to them. And some people start with their goals, but they really have to be very much aligned so that uh, you are your, your, your goals support what you believe in. The core principles of your life are your goals and um, your values support what you want to achieve in life. And that well, these things can change as you change. They can be very high level and be... Uh, modified as you go through life and you change, your situation changes, you know, you live on the other side of the world, whatever, you might have have to modify these. So those two pieces are the form formative pieces, I call them, and they then set the stage for your beliefs, which are, are your assumptions, and your uh, mode of work. So if you uh, if if one of your values, for example, is um, friendship and and helping people, uh, well, then you probably are going to believe that there's some value that you have a belief that somebody everybody has value and that you can find that value in order to work with that person effectively. If you believe that um, if you believe that certain people, who've not been to a high level university or had no education at all, if you, if you have a belief that they can't participate, uh, well, then that would not be in line with your value of uh, being helpful or being extending yourself to finding other people's value and that everybody has value because, you know, a project has multiple, multiple uh, jobs to be done. So discounting somebody for a reason that's, that is not, that it does not based in the data of a fact, uh, is not going to be aligned to that value. If you believe in everybody has value, uh, if you in a team meeting dismiss all of the opinions that don't agree with your opinion, well, you're not going to get to have a very good reputation for, being a collaborator or a good communicator. So those things, um, those things need to match your beliefs and your mode of work need to match up and support your goals and your values. Uh, and if they don't, you're going to derail yourself because you're going to have un unrealistic expectations about what you can achieve. Yeah. I think you're going to lose your authenticity as well, quite frankly. I don't yes, know how you can exactly how the words and the tune will line up, so to speak. Right. Uh, well, there's a very important um, perspective here of your narrative. And mm -hmm. we must we really all need to be aware of the narrative we're building for ourselves, yeah. because sometimes your your behaviors and this is the behavioral economist perspectives um, I'm pointing out that, you know, you're uh, you are your actions. And when you are, have to work with stakeholders, as we all do today, uh, you really want to present a valid narrative that people want to work with. Yeah. 
that matches up with their mindsets. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, I, uh, before we had this conversation, I, I searched you out and was poking around the internet, went on to Amazon, was looking at your book. And I, I'm curious uh, how this book found you. Uh, you know, I, that's that's a, a podcast I've always thought of creating because I rarely speak to an author where they go, oh, I didn't have anything else to do. I thought I'd write a book. There's something in there. Why this book? Why this topic for you? Uh, I started my career uh, teaching in the inner city. I was a math teacher mm -hmm. and came from a very different culture than the inner city. Mm -hmm. uh, became very frustrated with recognizing that we're not talking the same language here. So I left there and went to the private sector and created education programs for software and IT companies for 20 some years and found that uh, there were so many different perspectives in software and IT. Often educators are, um, are employed by software and IT companies to bring the techie people to the market together with the marketing people with, together with the customers. So that really lifted up for me that all these people think very differently. They all have different goals. Uh, they have different assumptions. They work differently. So then I left there. Uh, and I, at one point I was uh, responsible for um, uh, doing, uh, creating restructuring an organization's culture. Well, that really hit home with me that if you don't, if you can't somehow get people to a, a common mindset, they're just going to keep doing what is in their mindsets and you're never going to create a collaborative, autonomous culture. It's just not going to happen. And of course, I wasn't very well versed at that point because I didn't have any experience in that area. So I went back then and um uh, started to teach at a university and uh, teaching um, undergrads and grads, uh, graduate students. Uh, in these, in, I created these internship programs where you had to learn how to work in order to go work in an organization. So you weren't just looking for the experience that the company brought you. You were bringing something to the company because you were being autonomous and responsible for creating value for that company. And so after I, you know, worked in all these different capacities, all, all under the umbrella of education, I thought, you know, people really would benefit very much from being able to be in control and organizing their thinking and organizing, knowing what their thinking is, knowing how they're derailing themselves, themselves or propelling themselves and how they can get to that point of being self-confident self-sufficient and self-accountable. So I decided to write a book about it. Outstanding. So this is your first book? Yes. Yeah. Outstanding. Well, welcome to the club. <laughs> Good you. for you. I'm very I exciting. Have a, yeah. I have a second book planned, which is outlined, but I haven't gotten to it yet. It is um, what I also recognized with the uh, internship programs was that if you train uh, someone to be autonomous and they go to an organization and expect to work that way in an or in that organization. If there is no infrastructure of, to allow them to do that within the organization, it's just a matter of frustration for everybody. So the second book is about how do you create an autonomous environment 
uh, within an organization so that people can really excel and create lots of value for themselves and for the company, the organization. Wow. And watch yourself. You're, you're going to be creating chicken soups for the mindset. You're not careful. <laughs> there. You've got a whole bunch of them. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't have uh, that much energy. <laughs> you know, uh, real fast, one of the things I so appreciate, and I've been gone from Xerox for 31 years and worked there for about 10, so it's been a while, but one of the things that so impressed me about that company in the in the 80s now yeah. is the fact that you weren't on the job four days before you were in a class, Yeah, every single employee, every new hire and every existing employee had gone through it to learn how to interact with others, not yes. the customers yet. No. How to build on to something work. you're hearing, how to seek information, mm -hmm. how to brainstorm, how, how to disagree uh, without attacking, uh, yes. how to support, you know, how to, there was just nine different interactive skills. I still remember them. And it was brilliant really, because uh, cool. the company Pretty was cool. setting us up to say that, yeah, we're going to sell some copiers and printers around here. Don't worry, we'll get there. But first, we're going to make sure that we can, as a unit, and a big unit, um, work together as effectively as possible. Yes. And yes. I always appreciated that. Uh, yes. General Electric is also famous for that. Mm -hmm. uh, IBM, big companies yep. that have big ones. lots of resources to do that, I, I yep. always guess. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Uh, how about uh, one last question for you? Uh, mentors. Any mentors that uh, helped shape this for you or need to be mentioned? I had one really significant mentor, uh, a woman who did not, she, she was really um, very helpful to me, kind of in an, a kind of a backdoor way. She was a people person and I was not. I was a skills, let's get this done, you know, type person. And she really introduced me to the concept of uh, collaboration, how you understand other people, how you placate as well as guide and, and direct. She, I mean, she saw, she saw a lot of really tangible um, business skills in me and she refined those, she, uh, recognized those skills, but re helped me to refine them with her people skills, which was really very good. The other thing I uh, always point to as mentors is uh, biographies. I read a lot of biographies and uh, of people who were uh, famous for whatever reason and their their struggles, their challenges, and how they have kind of intuitively um overcome them are really very insightful for me. So I read a lot of biographies of people who had total control of their mindsets and went with it. Yeah. You know, I'm actually lately, I've been reading a lot more biographies and uh, nonfiction books because I feel I'm doing double duty. A, I want to be reading and B, I'd like to learn something while I'm at it. And it is, uh, it, it's, yeah. I, I wasn't always that way. I mean, I like a good Grisham book like everybody else. Don't get me wrong, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. that's for the beach. Uh, you know, uh, I, uh, right. I'm, I'm always pleased when I put a book down and go, wow, you know, that, <laughs> that contributed in some way. Well, there's really definitely a balance because, you know, actually those Grisham books, 
uh, you, you there's so much context in those books that you learn something there too. Yeah, you do. I mean, don't discount that. Uh, I don't. I don't read enough of them. I think. Thanks. <laughs> I read too many of them, but but I'm just trying to slow down and uh, and go uh, uh-huh. more with the bi- biographies. Okay, the book uh-huh. is called The Intentional Mindset: Data, Decisions, and Your Destiny. You can find it on Amazon. I'm assuming now also on any uh, online store. Mm-hmm. I noticed you have a Kindle copy as well, so we've got that yes. book out there. Um, the publisher? Is it the publisher? You can uh, publisher Business Express Press, right? Expert Press, Business Expert Press. Expert Press. There you go. Thanks for cleaning it up for me. Good. All right. How do people get a hold of you, Jane? You can go to my website, artofperformance.net. Uh, you can send me an email, which is Jane H. Frankel at artofperformance.net. Uh, and that's, you know, I will definitely respond. Good. Love to talk then- to people, just kind of. Uh, always, always learn something from uh, talking to someone who has a dilemma. Always. Yeah. And 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 as a new member of the Authors Club, I want to tell you, and I want to remind people that uh, authors love to hear from readers, mm-hmm. and we, and and more important than that, we love signing books. I think some people think that that's they're getting in our way or they're annoying us. It is the uh, it's the it's the one of the most wonderful things about writing a book is having somebody who's got a copy in their hand walk up and ask to be signed so i'm i'm speaking for jane right now i'm telling you when you see her when you've got that book tucked under your arm don't hesitate she'll love to sign absolutely. that book absolutely I love to chat with you too yeah yes. always time to talk with people there you go well that there you mm-hmm. then you got to reach out to jane and by the way that last name is spelled f-r-a-n-k-e-l if i've got it right That's so right. uh make sure you've got that spelled right and uh, jane i just want to say thank you i've enjoyed the conversation um likewise yeah learned a lot uh and um just really appreciate you being on the show i want to thank you thank you thank you so much rob i really enjoyed the conversation as well perfect Well, we'll do it again as well as we can next time, everybody. Until then, stay safe. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please rate and recommend it on iTunes, Outcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more information on this show and Rob at Jollis.com.